So let's pray. Father, we give thanks for this day that you're with us and watching over us. We give thanks that you have given us your word. Father, we just uh, thank you for the opportunity to read your word today and just pray that your Holy Spirit will go before it. Your Spirit will open up our hearts and, Father, that you will teach us, that you will show us, that you will love us through your word. We give thanks for your word in your name. Amen. Good morning. I'm reading from Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Uh, well, I want to start this morning by sharing a quick parable. Uh, a parable, maybe you've heard it before. I think I've used it before. It's a parable about two fish that are swimming along in the ocean. They're just having a nice time chatting to one another about how the day is. And then a seal swims past them. And as the seal swims past them, uh, the, the seal says to these two fish, he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? They keep swimming, and they're a bit puzzled by this. And one fish looks at the other and, and says to the other, What's water? What's water? Anyway, the point of the parable is the fish don't notice the water that they're swimming in. Right? The fish don't notice the water they're swimming in. Or like, maybe better for us land dwellers, we don't notice the air we breathe. Uh, it's all around us. We take it for granted. I think that's true for many things. It's, also, it's, it's true for many things, including a lot of the values that we hold dearly to. Uh, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're, each week we're going to take one value of 21st century Australian society. And we're going to ask the question, why is this the air we breathe and not some other air? Uh, there's, there's a conviction that's sort of undergirding this series is that we hold these values because of Jesus. Uh, we yearn for them because he lived them perfectly. Uh, so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is have four snapshots from Jesus' life recorded in Luke's Gospel. Uh, and along the way, we'll reflect in the way on, on how Jesus kind of embodies the truest and most wonderful expression of these values and shares them with everyone who comes to him in faith. We're going to be helped by this excellent book, and we've pinched the title for the series from the book. Uh, it's called The Air We Breathe. It's by an author called Glenn Scrivener, um, and we've got copies up the back to, uh, available to purchase, $15 each. I really highly recommend it to dive further into these issues. Um, uh, from the kind of um, the blurb of the book, um, uh, this, this book will help you discover how the teachings of Jesus not only turned the ancient world upside down, but continue to underpin the way we think of life, worth and meaning.
Anyway, to, well, today, so that's a sort of plug for that, but today we're going to think about compassion, about compassion. Uh, there's lots about our society today that upholds the value of compassion, of being sensitive to others, to the suffering of others, and doing what you can to help them. You see it, I think, in institutions like our public hospitals and public schools. You see it when tragedies strike, like bushfires and floods. We rally around to help. We, even people far away who we have no idea who they are. Um, and this, this sort of value of compassion, it's been, it gets picked up by, even by secular thinkers. So I heard an interview with a psychologist recently who's, who's just re- released a book last year um, uh, called Choose Compassion, uh, and uh, it's been very popular. And he says this, research has shown compassion is extremely good, not only for mental health, but also social relationships, connectedness, and community. Now, of course, you might be thinking there are heaps of ways in which we are not a compassionate society. Um, the treatment of the unborn or the elderly or the poor or refugees, a whole range of things that you might be thinking. But I think there's still a background assumption that compassion for the weak is basically a good thing. It's basically a good thing. And what's really interesting is that people in other times and places have breathed a very different air. Um, so the ancient world, the ancient world had a very different kind of instinct when it came to the whole idea of weakness, how you responded to weakness. Weakness was something to be discarded and despised, not something to be treated with compassion. So here's a, a, a quote from a guy you might have heard of, Plato, famous philosopher. He said, nature herself intimates that it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the powerful more than the weaker, Justice consists in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. A bit wordy, but you get his point, right? That's, in the ancient world, the virtuous thing was for the strong to dominate the weak, to let nature take its course. Um, one example I heard of recently, um, this ancient letter that's been found uh, from, that comes from the first century BC, written by a Roman soldier to his wife. It's a really warm letter. Uh, It just talks about kind of normal things. And then there's just this throwaway line along the way, as if in passing, he says, if perhaps you bear a child in my absence and it is male, let it be. If it is female, throw it out. And then he just moves on. He just moves on. And we hear that and we're shocked, right? It's appalling, utterly appalling. But in the first century world, that was normal. It was normal. So what changed? What, cha- what explains this massive change where the weak and unwanted go from being trash to being treasure? Uh, where they go from objects to be discarded to people to be shown compassion? Friends, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus brought about a revolution in how we see the world's he has given us the air, a very different air to breathe, different than any other. Uh, what's really interesting is there's a growing number of secular voices that are recognising this. So um, there's a, a historian, you might have heard of him, his name's Tom Holland, not the Spider-Man actor, a different guy, Tom Holland. Uh, he's not a Christian believer, but he talks, uh, he talks about as a young man being obsessed with ancient Greek and Roman worlds, 
but by being struck by what he calls the complete lack in ancient Greek and Roman thought of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. He's not a Christian, but he recognises that his moral framework, especially this value of compassion for the weak, is because of Jesus. Uh, He says, Christianity has so saturated everything that everybody in the West does. It's essentially the water inside the goldfish bowl that we goldfish are all swimming in. So he uses that same sort of analogy. Anyway, that's all by way of introduction, friends. What I want to do now as as we move on is spend some time reflecting on Jesus, on this one who changed the world, this one who gave us the air that we breathe. Uh, One of the most striking things about Jesus was his compassion, his compassion. Um, uh, uh, um, Compassion, this word compassion, is actually the most common word used in the New Testament to describe the emotion of Jesus. If you look for where it talks about Jesus' emotion that he shows, this is the most common one. Now, that's very interesting, isn't it? The people who knew him best, when they were writing down accounts of his life, more than any other word that they could grasp for, they wrote about Jesus' compassion. Um, In the original language, it's a really strong word. It's not just a kind of feeling of mild pity. It's actually the word for your intestines. Uh, So it's sort of this deep, stomach-churning feeling in your guts. Um, That's the word that is used of Jesus so frequently. And it's a word that comes up in this brief story that we had read out uh, for us from Luke's Gospel. So we're going to dive into it now. The the scene opens in verse 11 there with two crowds. You can see uh, the first one in verse 11... Uh, the first crowd is walking to, uh, with Jesus towards this small rural town called Nain. Uh, this crowd is the, the disciples of Jesus. There is followers. Uh, plus, you see, there's a kind of huge crowd of groupies that are hanging on and going with him. Um, uh, they'd, they'd seen Jesus do amazing things. They'd heard him teach amazing things. They're trying to figure out who he is, and they're kind of going with him. So you've got crowd A over here, right, coming towards Nain. But then in verse 12, another crowd comes in view. Another crowd coming out of the town. They're coming out of the town gates. It's a funeral procession. And it's a really tragic scene. Uh, A young man has died, which is tragic in itself. But right at the centre of this crowd of mourners is this man's mother. We're told she's a widow, so she's already lost her husband, and now her only son. Uh, In that society, without any government safety net, A childless widow was right down the bottom of the social ladder. She had no one to care for her. She had no income. She had no support. So you've got these two very different crowds, right, Uh, meeting together outside the city gates of Nain. One is full of expectation and interest. The other is full of grief and mourning. And what happens next is, I think, this, the, one of the most beautiful, incredible snapshots of this unnatural, otherworldly, transforming compassion of Jesus. And the first thing that happens in verse 13, what I pointed out earlier, is that Jesus sees. He notices and pays attention to what's going on. 
Uh, it's not just paying attention to what's going on, though. Do you look at, notice who he sees, what he's looking at? He gives his attention to the grieving woman at the centre of this funeral procession. Now, that might not seem like much, like sort of said in passing in a way, it's not, but it's not. It's not a small thing. It might seem like it, but it's not. You get this actually over and over in the Gospels. Jesus looks at people. He notices them. He especially looks at people that other, others would look away from. I reckon that would be my instinct. If I suddenly came across a funeral procession, right, I, I would look down. I would wait for it to pass. But Jesus looks up. He sees this person in need. And he doesn't respond with discomfort, sort of uh, an insecurity. He doesn't respond with embarrassment about, you know, sort of gate-crashing this funeral. He doesn't do what... He also doesn't do what a great king in the ancient world would have done uh, and what the great people in our world would, would do, just carry on not paying attention to the small unimportant person who's in his way. No, what we're told here is the Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. And in verse 13, you keep reading, his heart went out to her. That's that word I was talking about before, that strong word for gut-wrenching compassion, stomach-churning pity. He doesn't do the, what we so often do. He doesn't hold the pain and suffering of this woman kind of at arm's length. He lets himself feel the sadness of it, feel the tragedy of it. But he doesn't just feel. Jesus' compassion made him, made him put his gardening gloves on. Right? He doesn't just feel. He moves into action. And this is where things get really uncomfortable, I think. So um, if you've... Um, Many of us have been to many funerals. You'll know that there's kind of a whole set of rules at a funeral. They're not written down, but everyone knows them. Um, when, when the coffin passes you by, you stop. You're silence. You bow your head. You give the mourners space. You respect their grief. You don't interrupt them. You see how shocking this would have been? Jesus breaks all those rules. He goes up in verse 13, and he, and he speaks to the grieving mother who he'd never met before, right? The strange, strange person coming and speaking to this grieving mother in the middle of the procession. Not only that, look at what he says. He says something that at first glance is, you, you kind of think it's either crazy or just cruel. He tells this poor widow in the middle of her grief to stop crying. Uh, and then in verse 14, you know, it kind of keeps, he keeps breaking the rules, right? In verse 14, he goes up to the coffin, which actually would have been, it's more like an open stretcher. So not the coffins that we're used to, an open stretcher that, with the dead body wrapped but lying there for all to see. So Jesus goes up and touches it. He puts his hand on it, possibly even touching this dead man. And those carrying it, like they can't believe what's going on, they stop in Jesus' society, you didn't touch a dead body. Uh, it made you unclean until you'd gone through this sort of series of rituals to make yourself acceptable again. And the people are looking on and they're noticing all these rules that Jesus is breaking. Um, 
This is outrageous. <laughs> Who does this guy think he is? But Jesus isn't, he isn't crazy. And he isn't cruel. He has this amazing, gentle, confident authority. And in a word, he gives life to the dead. There's, there's no fanfare, no grandstanding. Do you notice that? He doesn't even need to put on gardening gloves, actually. He doesn't need to roll up his sleeves. All he does is give the word. He, he tells this young man to get up. And then in verse 15, the dead man sits up. And this lovely detail that gets put in there, right? He gets up and he begins to talk. I really, I wonder what he talks about, like what he said. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> What's going on? Jesus gives life to this young man. But he's not the only one Jesus gives life to in this story, is he? Actually, I think he's actually not the main person that Jesus gives life to in this story. See what happens next. Jesus draws our attention back to the widow of this widow of Nain. Jesus takes her son, calls him out of death into life, and gives him back to his mother. And in doing that, he gives her life too. Well, there's something really interesting in what the crowd says next in verse 16. They glorify God, and they say, not only has a great prophet come, but that God himself has come to help his people. The crowds, they've watched what's happening, right? And the only conclusion they can come to is that they're watching God in action. They've just seen God in action coming to her. And it's a hint to us in this story that there's something much bigger going on. You get this same pattern again and again through the Gospels, as I mentioned before. Jesus sees... He feels compassion and he acts to save. It's the stunning character of Jesus, the nature of his love. But Jesus himself claimed to be the Son of God, the one who perfectly reveals God the Father to the world. So when we see this compassion in Jesus, what we're seeing is, is the very heart of God for sinners and sufferers like you and like me. And just like here, Jesus' compassion led him to act, to save this woman. He has acted to save you, to save us in his ultimate act of compassion. This is a story about death. And according to the Bible, death is a penalty. It's a consequence of a deeper problem. That's why in Jesus' society you didn't touch it and you'd be unclean if you did. We die because of our sin, because of our rejection of God, the Lord of life. And when you push away life, all that's left is death. It's not as if this boy died for some particular thing he did. That's not what I'm saying at all. He's suffering the general penalty that all of us are swept up in the consequence of our rejection of God. But God cares too much about his world to let it drop there. He doesn't just leave us in the death that we deserve. 
God, has prom- God had promised. He'd promised. That's why um, they're expecting this. He'd promised through his prophets to come to save his people, to bring even death to nothing. And not just physical death, but the spiritual death that lies behind it, the death in our relationship to God, our maker. And so when Jesus comes and does this, when he comes and wipes this woman's tears away, when he destroys the death of her son, we're meant to join the dots. It's like Jesus is kind of announcing here in this miracle that he's come to do what God promised. Not just just to deal with one widow's grief or one man's death, as wonderful as that is, he came to deal with the whole world's grief, the whole world's death. That is the wonderful good news of the gospel, that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking the curse of sin and death that we deserve on himself. That when he rose three days later, he destroyed death. He brought life and immortality to light. That that life and light is freely given to everyone who comes to him and puts their faith in him as their saviour and their king. I think all of us, deep down, long for compassion. We long for someone to see us and feel for us and act for us. Ultimately, all of us long for that because we're lost and stuck in our sin and in the death that is its consequences. Friends, maybe this morning you've come and you feel unseen unnoticed. And I, I, I reckon that's actually, at some level, that's all of us. At some level, that's all of us. The gospel is the full and final proof that Jesus sees you, that he notices you, that you are not too small, you're not too insignificant, you're not too unclean for him. He sees you, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He doesn't just see you. He feels compassion for you. A compassion so deep that he went to the cross for you, in your place, to give you life. Jesus is an unfailing free, overflowing source of compassion for all those who come to him in faith, for all those who hold out their hands to receive what he has for them, to all those who entrust themselves to him as their saviour and their king. His compassion changed the world, and it can change your world too if you receive it. Let's pray. Thank you, our God, for this beautiful, wonderful insight into the compassionate heart of Jesus. Thank you that God, our Father, you sent your Son into this world to reveal your heart for us. Thank you that because he died on the cross, we can know that you see us. 
that you have compassion for us and that you have acted to save us in the most wonderful and liberating way. Help us, each one today, to hear your word and receive it and to live with you as our Lord and our Saviour and our loving King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.